Breakfast Metal episode 127. Recording this intro after the fact, uh, the episode was called cool my friend Michael Toe. I ruined my audio at the start of the call by having it way too loud so i'm i'm redoing the intro now just a note for the episode um michael's audio isn't fantastic but i've gone through it and i've made it so you should be able to hear everything so i hope that's okay i think this is a really interesting conversation and like it's well worth putting up with the slightly dodgy audio quality for it i found this episode to be a lot of fun if you listen to the last episode he was on uh, i think it was about two years back, episode 92, Mexican Metal, Michael brought a really interesting selection of bands from Mexico, most of which I'd never come across before, from a really broad selection of genres and time periods, and we thought we'd just like recreate a similar format for this episode. In this one, we lean a lot more towards the death metal end of the spectrum, like it seems like a scene that's very good at that slightly kind of gnarly death metal sound and we we do kind of a chronological run through through all the bands showing a bit of like uh kind of evolution but if you stick around to the to the end um we get into a bit more of a broader spectrum of bands anyway i'll jump just kind of into the episode from the first part where my audio isn't terrible yeah when you're ready michael do you want to just uh introduce the first one yeah let's get right to it uh Right off the bat, we have Sarcastic's No Forgiveness from 1990, which is a, a demo. To me, this is like probably the most quintessential 90s Mexican metal demo uh, for, for the death metal vein in particular. It's right at that cusp where thrash was becoming death metal, but to me, there's actually like a surprising lack of outright thrashy bits in this, and it leans much more into a like fully committed death metal territory, which is true. Um which is cool. They got the label as the Mexican Sepultura, and I love there's a little bit on Metal Archives where they say, by no means were they offended by this, because they enjoyed Sepultura and liked their music, but they found the label, I don't know, suffocating or boxed them in to a certain degree. Despite that, their logo looks a lot like Sepultura's uh, logo. So I think that's funny that they, they had a complaint about that, but there's that adjacency there too. Yeah, I, I think this band as well gives us a good like, sort of jumping off point to discussing like why this scene was interesting. So we, we kind of... Um with the first episode like the the sort of premise was you'd got really into these these bands from this area where they're a bit underground it seems like they don't outside of like the chasm we were saying last time you don't really have a lot of breakout extreme metal from there and there is that regular pigeonholing although it's not quite south america it's geographically similar bit of the world where they get lumped in with your kind of big brazilian bands and it's funny that a band like this have that like nature of well, they're very thrashy for a death metal band, and got that kind of nastiness. So everyone's like, "Oh, it's it's like the, the Mexican Sepultura." Like, I don't think that would have been my comparison band if I'd heard this with no context. No, it wouldn't have been my comparison band either. It, like in the personal notes that I'd written down for this, I I wrote down "Scream Bloody Gore" because I kind of think the the three main touchstones for really early death metal, at least in terms of like American stuff for me, is "Scream Bloody Gore." Uh, seven churches and then severed survival right and to me this one is kind of in that scream bloody gore camp where it's clearly trying to move forward in a in a direction but it's got a lot of like scattershot on it it's not as directly nasty as severed survival or as directly weird and evil and kind of off kilter as seven churches was trying to sound and, and sounded really well there's a weird balance of things that just sound like where death metal is heading for sure and things that you would like hear crop up in 
honestly, things like cryptopsy and suffocation on some tracks on this, like the fourth one in particular has these bouncy moments that remind me of that. Uh, but also like punk moments creep in and everything just because I feel like this was the era where you could just grab whatever you were feeling and nothing felt strange yet because everybody knew they were pushing in a more aggressive, extreme direction. But there was kind of all manner of aggressive and extreme things you could pull on without like a lot of genre definition yet. Yeah, it has like like kind of the nature of the recording because it's like a it is very clearly a demo. Um, it has a like really extreme tinge to it. This sort of I know keeps it in a vein, but like the the individual riffs or like ideas they're throwing out there do just leap between genres. I think it's just because it's got a such raw recording. It always feels very brutal whatever they do. And it kind of works in its favor. Like I, I kind of like how like the mix is kind of terrible. It just it gives it such a rawness. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, and I think this is partially why uh, these demos and albums like this, and why I enjoy doing deep dives like it is. It's it's not always that I'm looking for the perfect quality album, but something that gives you a very distinct flavor of like what was going on at this time or you know like it was capable i think it's four people this is what it would sound like if four dudes who were super into metal in the 90s in a small scene if they got in a room this is what it would sound like and even though today like if this came out by uh, you know if this were a 2023 demo i probably wouldn't look twice at it it's it, it breadcrumbs you towards what it would feel like to be in that era where you were like, I don't know, we could take these fast things from punk, we can take, you know, just much heavier detuned guitars as well. Um, one of my favorite things, I don't know if you caught this, but I'm pretty sure on the closing track, Bolt Thrower's Cenotaph riff is in it. Oh, really? Uh, no, I, I totally missed that. <laughs> it's. I think it's only in there for 10 to 20 seconds, and I think it's slightly different um, and a little bit faster. But that is, like, exactly why I like albums of this era, is you'll find them stumbling upon similar things. And while I wouldn't really say there's much about this, otherwise that puts me in mind of Bolt Thrower, clearly at some point they, like, converged on something very similar. Some similar idea that, in this span of time, was interesting to everybody. Yeah, it, it's a cool one. I, I'd highly advise people check it out just for, like, the point in time, like, that kind of... It's on the cusp of 1990, so it's before death metal had really become codified. It's before death metal had really hit Europe in a big way outside of your bolt thrower napalm death, like that little, like that little explosion. So it just, if you're interested in that kind of, yeah, era before death metal had a true sound to it, like this is a really nice example of it. And their follow up, their like their full debut, I actually almost put on here, which I don't think came out until. Um, I think it was 2002, maybe? 2000, actually. Um, it's really good. Much more refined. That it, it really does sound like that amount of time went into evolving as musicians. Uh, I don't think we need to belabor this one too much, but I did find the liner notes for it, which was really exciting for me. And the weirdest thing about this band was that they seemed to be a Christian band. Uh, the, the main driving force, the songwriter starts off his thank you list with like thank you to the glory of god to like propel us forward on this and i I just never would have picked that up otherwise honestly because it has a lot of the the trappings and imagery of traditional death metal or things that seem like they're religious leaning but i guess when you take a step back none of it is like overtly negative 
So I, I found that super interesting. I never would have imagined that otherwise. to your next pick i think the next one is the one people might have heard of from this list for sure so we're moving one year into the future so 1991 uh with mortuary's blackened images and as you said i think of any of these if there's one for these like in the 90s it's definitely this one that you would know because 20 bucks spin stocks it had a recent reissue like only a couple years ago and it, it gets name checked by bands that you know have a have a fondness for this sort of like thrashy again like kind of thrashy territory heading into death metal but much more than sarcastic like the point of reference here i feel like is slayer and it it sounds reductive always to say like oh this band reminds me so much of slayer but for being in 91 and sounding so close to the quality that slayer was achieving i don't think it's like really a knock against mortuary and then the other element that lends it to a Slayer comparison is that this album's 28 minutes long, like uh, Rain and Blood. So it sounds like it's just coming from that exact same mindset and place. What's fantastic about this list you provided us today is it has a really nice charting, especially early on before we get into like 2010 and everything goes like, all over the map. Early on, it is a really good charting of like what the kind of zeitgeist of extreme metal was as things progressed. Because like, as you say, this is a very... Like, I, you can hear Slayer riffs in there. There's that, like, very technical, very precise rhythm guitar. And the band it puts me hugely in mind of is Vader. Like, it's it's like that kind of... That early thing was, like, we've taken Slayer and we've made it a bit more nasty. We've made it a bit more, kind of, overtly technical. Say, like, the lead guitar is more, like, showy than Slayer's stuff. And it just, like, yeah, there's a lot, I think, in line with this and the Ultimate Incarnation era vader like that kind of it's very precise it's very rigid but it's very riffy and memorable and they they yeah, it just um yeah fantastically tight album for like 91 as well like for a kind of you know out of somewhere like a small scene like the performances on this are really impressive it's really exacting like they obviously a 28 minute album you wouldn't anticipate much fat and if there is a lot of fat on a 28 minute album that's a really <laughs> bad indicator but I, there's not much to spare here um aside from i will say the opening track might be the weakest on this it it doesn't put you in an immediate spot where you think you're going to have a great time with this album but i think by the end you definitely get there um asphyxiation and reign of dead as two tracks back to back are just incredible asphyxiation kind of puts me in mind of consuming impulse a little bit i'm really glad you said vader actually because while listening to this it, it did feel like there's like a reference point 
swirling around that I just couldn't put my finger on. And I'd have to go back and listen to it, but I think it very well could be Vader. But yeah, I, I think this is actually something of a theme with these albums, too, across this list, is that they tend to pick up steam in the second half. And then the only other criticism I would put on this is that whoever mixed this bass really needs to like go back to sound school or something because there are times where it literally sounds like it's intended to be a bass solo and i just can't hear it i can tell something's going on can't quite put my finger on it though yeah there's no you could hear that someone is playing fast and in a way that's not like sort of you know rhythmically precise it's like that nature of a lead but you feel a life of you you could not say what the melody was what the notes were doing it's it's wild like that it i mean it it's 91, it's Mexico, like, I can understand them not having a studio that was up to the level of what was, you know, happening in America at the same same point. I mean, fuck it, there's enough American albums that completely fuck up the bass on <laughs> early 90s death metal. It, it's very hit or miss with that. Yeah, totally. It's, it's utterly forgivable for where they're at at this point. Uh, they actually opened for Slayer in 94 with another uh, Mexican metal band, Transmetal, which is very, very similar I think that Transmetal has like a lot more albums out there. Mortuary is probably a better one to start with if you want to get the like snack size discography. Their follow-up to this is is really weird in some ways, but also well worth checking out. And I think as of only two years ago or something like that, they're actually active again. I don't know if they're planning to tour only or release new stuff, but it'd be super cool to um to catch them. I, I think they've actually played some blackened images sets maybe at a decibel thing i don't remember i just know people tend to do the setlist stuff at decibel but it's clear they're once again interested in getting this out there it's, it's funny the amount of bands on this list where they have that like, sort of have reformed in the last five years because a lot of them are like one or two albums and then out and then yeah whatever's happening like a lot of bands are finding a resurgence in the genre i guess it's that explosion in popularity of death metal like we're at kind of an, almost a new zenith so they're really cool like i i feel this is an album that it, yeah if they did play this in full it would go down very well like it just seems built for it For two years now, we have Unholier Revelations of Sha'ul, is how I'll attempt to pronounce that. So I think this is like a transition point. I kind of, yesterday when I was re-listening to these for the final time, I ended up kind of grouping them in twos where this feels like a transition point in this list of albums where it gets much more established as death metal with thrash starting to bleed out a little bit and atmosphere being pushed right up to the front. Uh, I think this would probably be the album I would say is closest to like a Sunlight Studios or Swedish sound 
on this list. There's some points that give me early, like, at the gates vibes, with the caveat that there's nothing as crazy as what ALF does on guitar. They never hit that level of insanity, but uh, the just general feeling of what they're trying to achieve sounds like it's it's kind of parallel there. I know what you mean there is, there's definitely some of that. I got some kind of um, almost like spiritual healing era death vibes from it. There was that like th that sort of slight increase in technicality, but still very traditionally death metal kind of sounding um, element to it. The, the thing that really struck me about this one immediately was just how wild the vocal performance is. Like the there is a scream about five minutes into the album where I'm like, there is no way that didn't hurt the person doing it. It is an insane noise, like like a kind of Rainer Lanferman level, like just absolutely, yeah. And it gives the album a real energy where they have this kind of almost like twin vocal attack throughout over this music that is quite quite a bit more out there and weird in the way death metal started getting a few more years into the 90s and that coupled with a very kind of rough and ready mix to the album means it's it is quite a punishing listen but it's really exciting and it is it is a demo and i think for all i know these could be tracks that were grouped together in a sort of compilation fashion but i don't think that's the case because it feels very very holistic and like just well well crafted end to end and yeah the uh, to your point about the vocals another thing that i see in in several of these albums here on this list is that drums and vocals pull a lot of weight where guitars are doing like solid death metal riffing but nothing that maybe would necessarily grab your attention or make you want to re-listen to things but strange drumming choices and very adept drums too like i feel like they're they're pretty sharp and precise and yeah just matched up with the absolutely unhinged performance on vocals and like you said like outright painful sounding vocals in a lot of spots um and one of the most interesting things is as far as i can tell this is the only thing this drummer was ever on i don't think he ever did anything outside of unholier with the caveat being that's on metal archives so <laughs> yeah could be doing drumming outside of metal <laughs> it's good to remember other music exists but yeah i would have anticipated seeing it on a, on a lot of other stuff from this era but that doesn't seem to be the case so i've not like for most of these albums i put a lot of time into listening to them but really not explored the history around them and that's fascinating because he is the kind of core of this band like he's a really solid drummer and you would have thought a guy who can play double kicks like that would be in really high demand but i, I love those characters you find like metalarkers is a great resource for this who have like done one metal album ever and put in a performance that is just ludicrous and then disappeared into the ether or you know and they're now playing jazz as part of like a live band or something yeah i have no idea what they could be doing and i th this is another band i believe that is that is getting active again you can find i think there's only one track that they have up on youtube of them playing live but uh, it, it is there. They do sound good. The sound quality is kind of shit because I think it's filmed from a phone. But it seems like, you know, they're, they're dialed in and, and really committed to this again, which is awesome. Yeah, a really fun one. One to prioritize if you like a lot of atmosphere in your death metal. And especially if you like black metal leaning vocals, uh, this, is, this is where you should go for that kind of thing. Yeah, I'd say as well, it made a lot more sense when you said it was possibly a collection. Because to my, my ears, there is a 
break in the middle where three tracks sound like they're from a different recording session. So if you go into it with that in mind of like, this is a cool collection of songs, and actually they get weirdly more technical in the second half, like... It is a great kind of collection of what a band was doing, but don't expect the kind of polish of an album this is. Yeah, this is it's clearly a work in progress for the guys. Which is crawling through the 90s before we kind of make a big leap after this one but uh it's 94 now with tenebrarum alta magia Th- this album fell victim to one of my least favorite things in metal which is a reissue where they, they give it an absolutely terrible new cover uh the original one is is nothing special by any means it's kind of like a spooky devil face and a close-up but it's still so much better than the alternate uh again though super atmospheric a little more black metal infused also as i feel like unholier is and just very ambitious but not with like a ton of instrumentation there's a lot of synth touches and they really like their interludes and these interludes oh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes don't even sound very death metal interlude one sounds like a little carnival almost but it's not misplaced entirely uh i really like it actually this is the closest i think i got to disliking one of these purely because of the interludes like there like it starts really strong and then about seven minutes into the album there is like a three minute long interlude that is like keyboards and spooky noises and i was like that was the point where i was like ah this is this is a bit much experimentation but the core of the album i did really enjoy because it had this sort of vibe of like they clearly like stuff like deicide that kind of quite anti-religious very you know chunky death metal but they've layered keyboards over everything like not complex keyboards quite simple but like every riff however heavy however brutal they found a way to layer keyboards in and i thought that was a like a nicely unique touch like it this band i i feel i could recognize them quite quickly from that now so i'm very easily charmed by rough stuff which i think when i hear curveball interludes like that I wouldn't even say I like them, but then it just makes me feel like I want to put my arm around this band because they clearly were just absolutely shooting their shot and they didn't really care if it was weird. There's an aspect of it that feels like gothic and mournful in a way that Opeth was doing way better and with a lot more influences and ability to express themselves, whereas this seems like they kind of wanted a a similar, you know, we're casting a very wide tonal uh like picture here but they didn't have much to do aside from like so let's just chuck some fucking synths on it and that's gonna level up all of the spooky like grandness of all of this and it's gonna be awesome it doesn't really work in a lot of spots 
but it doesn't change the fact that it, it still provides like a weird enjoyment for me and I love the sound of people just kind of thrashing it out and not in the sense of like thrash music but just trying to nail something even though it's a little unclear if they know what they're trying to nail so it's interesting as well because like to put this in context of where like the scene was at the time it's in 94 so this is the point people famously cite old school death metal kind of falls off a cliff and becomes like a bit like overdone and then black metal is about to explode and this album feels like like i'm completely projecting this here but it really does feel like some guys are writing a death metal album and suddenly became aware of black metal and went like oh how do we get that in there as well and they've done quite a fun job of it because it's it's not like any attempt at black metal but it does have that sinister kind of nature to it while still having as i say like riffs that wouldn't feel out of place on legion or something like that and i, I say this so lovingly toward them and i know you're a big akrakaki fan or akrakak however you pronounce it but i feel like that's exactly what tenebrarum wants to be and they're not really anywhere close <laughs> <laughs> they're trying in that direction but you know i don't they don't really yeah it, they don't really come nearly as close to something as like holistic and and really fleshed out but I, I still love that feeling of fumbling around, and, and that's often why I get into stuff like this again. This one, uh, Ignis Atrum, uh, Avernus, is the album title. It's really hard to find information about this one. This is another band where they don't seem to have a ton of overlap with other projects, and it was in a time period, 2004, where, you know, Death Metal was in a really weird spot, and I don't think there was, like, that much demand from what I can tell for it. This sounds very 2000s to me, both in terms of, like, production and how you would write a death metal album it, it's not the kind of riffy album where i walk away and i say wow i like remember all these riffs very distinctly i just remember that every time i listen to it that there's like a prevailing sense of energy and extremely aggressive vocals that i really like sound wise it, it kind of sounds like almost the perfect intersection of chris Ion and like deicide to me definitely the way this guy plays his snare drum is like directly inspired oh i don't know if it's inspired by chris Ayun, but it it sounds exactly like that to me uh and the final touch just for context is if you can imagine you know another really bad cgi monstrosity album cover with like a red demon on the front of it it's exactly what this is it's it's another perfect 2004 absolutely dog shit cgi album cover 
as I say, that this list does an amazing job of tracking where, like, extreme metal, particularly death metal, was over each point in time. And 2004 is where you suddenly get that, like, sort of the huge trigger kick drum sound, like, that really punishing snare drum is, like, the core of death metal. Like, death metal in this time period as well is incredibly brutal for the most part. And, like, this, like... Not brutalizing brutal death metal, like, but just, just like very aggressive, extremely in your face with like a really harsh attack to it. This album just felt like overwhelmingly loud in places. I remember when I first put this on, following the earlier ones, you're like, oh, this is just so much more, so much more overwhelming in that regard. And and it has, as you say, there's definitely an influence of stuff like Deicide and Christian. Like it has a certain like slightly more old school bearing. But stuff like the mix, stuff like the the vocal delivery, I also think it's taking some influence from stuff like Vital Remains or like Hate Eternal at that time, like like particularly early versions of both those bands, where it's like just a bit more sort of robust and you know more multi-tracking of everything, so it just sounds very very big. And yeah, as you, perfect album cover for the era. They, they, there's something about every aggressive death metal album in this time period had a horrible cover that looked something like this. It's what I think about every single time now when people are, say that AI is going to do all of our album covers is that it's like, I, it's, I was not paying attention at this time, but it seems like a lot of people felt that way about, you know, early computer graphics at one point. And look how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> This also has the quintessential 2000s thing that often is a drag on albums, but I don't mind it here, where there's this attempt to, like, equal balance a lot of groove and occasionally, um, like, pretty lengthy, more melodic portions. Frankly, in a way that there are aspects of this album that you can point to, I say, I, I would say that, like, overlap with kind of the emergent metalcore stuff that was borrowing from, like, At The Gates where it's similar to At The Gate stuff, but also very stripped down and, like, a little more formulaic. But I don't mind it here as much because they're so nuts with their vocals and, like, the vital remains sense. And again, just, like, this dude is constantly firing on his snare drum in a way that even when the guitars aren't necessarily, like, a driving force of brutality on this, they can kind of get away with doing their own thing and holding down the atmosphere while... You can just like really sink yourself into either what the vocalist is doing or the drummer being all over the place. One other quick note on it is it's it's much more cleanly produced, but even compared to some of the earlier albums here, there are moments on this where it almost sounds like it's going to fall apart. And not a ton of other albums feel that rickety. They definitely do in a production sense on this list. But I like that this one at certain points sounds like they're really kind of pushing at the edges of of collectively playing together yeah there is that level of like they are going so fast in certain places and because everything is so huge sounding like you just get this like slight move towards almost a wall of noise and there was something i thought was quite nice about it was the way the vocals are done is a bit odd for this genre they've um they put like a huge amount of echo on them and they're like a little pulled back in the mix so it has this very ethereal slightly kind of demonic aspect to the vocals where they're not a guy being really tough and in your face it's yeah it feels a little more occult whereas everything else is a fucking steamroller and uh yeah i, I think that was a nice touch it's it's good to see too that the drummer lives on now in two other 
the kind of old school death metal bands, definitely more old school than this one, uh, that that are active today in Ravenous Death and Demonic Manifestation, which some people may have heard of. I think they're getting just a little more, um, little more exposure. He doesn't actually drum in those bands, which is interesting. He's more of a lead guitarist and uh, writes like guitar parts now. But this also, it, it doesn't seem like this is ever going to come back or maybe even be reissued or given a lot of attention it seems like the guy who was the driving force behind this passed away because they were on their label was like cleric records or something along those lines and and their member that passed away also carried that name so it seems like maybe this is kind of a like put to bed project very much which just further lends to me that sense that it's it's such a snapshot of the early 2000s and and what was going on there yeah i i think it's, it's fantastic for that and it's something for me i was really happy to go back to because i've gone through a bit of an obsessional phase with early 2000s death metal because it's it's a kind of forgotten era and actually once you get past the awful aesthetic of those album covers there's actually some really interesting stuff there and it's very very different to how it sounds now or how it sounded in the 90s it is a it and this is a great like example of why that genre is worth revisiting a lot of bands nowadays i think take on extra elements or really try to emphasize their ambition which is great but sometimes i like the comfort of the more like formulaic time period back during uh like 2004 when this came out it's it sounds silly but you know i listened to this while i was like weeding the garden yesterday and it was just great it was just carrying me through all of it it was not so great that it was distracting and it's certainly good enough that it keeps me in a good mood throughout. So I really enjoy it for that. All right. So the the next time we're covering is is kind of a I'd say a, the leap now to like the current era, although it's like thirteen years old now. Is this an album you found like closer to the time, or is this one you've come across relatively recently? I came across this one recently, also while I was doing research. Uh, and, and yeah, as you said, it's a it's an eight year leap forward. I'm gonna butcher this this name probably, but it's Vexilla Regis Predeant Inferni. And as the, you kind of know based off of the name probably what you're getting into. It's blackened death metal that loves sound samples, loves uh, Latin references. Apparently this is a line used by like Vir- Virgil in the Inferno to like introduce Lucifer at some point. That's pretty much as far along as I got in like my... <laughs> theological research for this though because it's just such a huge rabbit hole the biggest comparison metal archives has in their like similar artist section is the chasm for this and it's just completely fucking wrong um (laughs) yeah no i'm with you like i can't see that in the slightest we've got one coming up that actually that applies to yeah absolutely but here it just no and it's similar to the the album prior this one i don't like walk away with huge memories of individual tracks but a really really fond memory of like the time spent in a really consistent atmosphere throughout it's it's blackened death metal and you can pretty much more or less imagine that style of riffing interspersed with like again interludes and every now and then like some some extra flavor of instrumentation what i like about it is that it's just so tightly scoped to its vision and throughout it feels just kind of deftly executed again it's it's nothing that's gonna like blow your socks off or maybe make you say i've never heard this specific thing before but nonetheless 
they name check vital remains grotesque and necrophobic and i think those are three great reference points for this again yeah i i would agree there like this is certainly not treading wholly new ground but it's the it's the quality of the songwriting it's the amount of moments in this where you just like oh this is a really like like fist pumping riff or this is just a bit like it's just so like so much of this felt like stuff I was like I'd love to witness this live because they're just really well constructed songs tracks like um Leviathan Con- Leviathan's Coronation was the one where I was like oh that's just fantastic like halfway Incredible through the track. album and and just everything comes together it's like the lead part like adds a load of like drama to an already like really great riff yeah, yeah. there are just so many moments like that and it's it's a tight like kind of 40 minutes and it's the no fat and also just doing like a classic black and death metal thing really well which is an underutilized genre and i think this is again similar to the last album how it was so representative of 2004 I feel like 2012, that's a little early for kind of the depth of my metal journey. But it feels right around the time where the internet and various databases were catching up. And you could just really dive deep and research broadly. And that's kind of what it feels like these dudes did. They delivered something that is very much in the genre trappings of black and death metal. But it feels like they've had clearly a lot of time to refine what that means to them um and actually you know i think descriptive metal writing is one of the most brutally difficult areas but i have to shout out whoever wrote the Bandcamp description for this i'll actually read a portion of it because i think it's far better than anything i can say um at the end they write any topo- topography consists of peaks and troughs but here there ap- appears to be no aesthetic meaning to the contours Riffs rise and fall like waves, but without any of nature's geometry. What results is an album that touts itself as satanic death metal, but feels curiously void of life's energy. (laughs) And it's actually a really great description, I think. That's that's fantastic, yeah. Uh, That is is worryingly good writing. I'm glad glad it's not too common, or I I would have no point in doing (laughs) this. No kidding. I'm never going to conjure anything like that. Uh, yeah, uh, like you said about the track Leviathan's Coronation, I can't remember if I had put this uh, just my personal notes here, the ones I shared with you, but there were moments on this where it's like, this is what Behemoth lost at certain times. Like, this is precisely, if I were to talk to somebody about why I like don't have interest in them, it's really hard to put my finger on, but I would say, like, listen to this album and the way it makes you feel like that's what I used to get on older behemoth albums that i think is just kind of lost and then uh what one other great moment to call out is on track seven i i think their guest vocals by a woman could just be a person with a very high-pitched voice but either way it just really elevates that track yeah as you say like there's a lot about this album where they just find a moment to add something a little different that it's not it doesn't feel so out of left field it's you know inappropriate but it's just adds a little something to just keep your interest and yeah those those extra vocals you're like okay they it's quite late in the album it's like oh no they've got another string to this they've got another idea that's uh, yeah really yeah it's just really solid this one yeah kind of kind of in keeping with um like the unholier album if if you're craving some atmosphere definitely definitely check this one out Don't worry, small. 
kind of tip my hand here. This is definitely my favorite on the list, just in terms of personal taste. This one is from 2019, Infernal Conjurations, Infernale Metallomortis. And it took me way too long to realize this. I shouldn't have had to read Metal Archives, but it's Infernal Death Metal is what it's supposed to mean. Great. Love it. Um, and that's exactly what they deliver here. This one, I like it because it's so clearly rooted in the soil of, like, mortuary and sarcastic. But once again, kind of as I said with 2012, this is the era where people have been able to find things at will, really distill what's going down with them, and and make something incredible out of it. Like, if you... I think if you look at how Mortuary was clearly anchored to Slayer, Infernal Conjuration feels very well anchored to like years of listening to Morbid Angel and Death, and never getting quite as technical as those bands, but definitely delivering the early 90s phase of those bands just beautifully. And the album's production also captures that sound beautifully. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this being the, the kind of standout. And it, it's not that anything else isn't great, it's just this one is a very special album i i think i'd seen like the name floating around but i don't think i'd ever listened to it before and there's so much of like the writing is crazily atmospheric throughout they managed to get this like constant feeling of kind of building dread but it's still a very riffy death metal maybe with a touch of doom in their kind of album at its heart and it has this fantastic mix where you can hear everything like the bass so regularly is doing something interesting under the guitars like they find there's lots of like that interesting like melody and counter melody going on it's so well constructed that like it feels like something that i don't again i say i haven't looked up much about these bands but i would be amazed if this wasn't written by a group of very experienced musicians like the the level of composition going on is incredible yeah this is the band that definitely has or actually, no, I'm, I'm thinking of, I think, the, the next one we'll talk about. But th- this does have overlap um, with with a lot of other bands. One of them actually was in Mortuary, which which is pretty cool. I don't think he was an original member, but I think he was in one of their uh, iterations afterward. And, yeah, I don't think of Atmosphere when I think of thrashy death metal. Or if I do think of atmosphere, it's atmosphere that's, like, very grounded in real life, right? Like, if I think of, say, Inculter, like a band like that out of Norway right now, there's great atmosphere there, but to me the atmosphere is, like, a bunch of dudes drinking beer in a graveyard playing music really well. Infernal Conjuration brings up, like, kind of a a cosmic, weird feeling that I don't often find with, like, thrashy music that I really, really like. Maybe more so like in, in more technical-oriented bands, but there's nothing here that is overly technical. It's all in the songwriting and, ar- and arrangement to me. You know, it's certainly one of those albums where each time I go back to it, I pick out something new, and I think it's because it's so great at just conveyor belting you from like one great moment to the next that sometimes you have to take a step back and realize the two guitars are actually doing completely different things, but just so deftly you wouldn't necessarily understand they're at, like, counterpoint with each other unless you really pay attention to it. It is that that level of, like, there is something about the what it conjures it is amazing for something so rooted in death metal. Like, the album cover, I feel, is so fitting, this, like, 
like very sort of alien landscape covered in all these little candles it it really like brings up pictures that fit with the 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 kind of image they they've made with the sound like there's there's something slightly otherworldly something like yeah that feels like coming back from the spirit realm i i don't know what it is about this but it's i find it a very deeply evocative album and as you say one that rewards you the more you listen like I think most people will know if they're going to like it or not on first listen, but every subsequent time I put it on, I found something else that's really fascinating in it. Yeah, it, it's genuinely incredible. Just to put like a final bow on on my thoughts, uh, they, well, one, they, they played a show or a tour not too long ago with Morbid Angel and the Chasm. I just can't imagine how fun that would be to go to that <laughs> oh, show. Um, yeah. I think... Uh, for anybody out there that is familiar with this album or or listens to it and really loves it, you should check out Peru's Mortem because I think that's actually a really good point of comparison for these folks. Again, Pestilence vibes kind of crop up that I really like, but again, with this added atmosphere that not many other bands get. And then just my other third like little favorite moment, the third track kicks off with a riff that reminds me so much of Heaving, Heaving Earth from... Um, Fatal's formula. Formula's fatal to the flesh. God, God, that one trips me up every single time. But yeah, that's like my favorite. (laughs) That's my favorite riff that just seems to crop up everywhere. It cropped up in one of the new Ulthar albums this year too, and I just love that like this band never gets as brutal as like Tucker era Morbid Angel, but they can still deftly pick out some threads and put it into this thrash picture in a way that just makes perfect sense. actually think is probably the most the biggest departure from the rest actually this is decidedly like death doom this is 2023 so this year uh reverence to paroxysms lux morte and it's it's just disgusting it's disgusting death doom where the emphasis is heavily on the death metal aspect and the doom is more incorporated in kind of portions where they slow down uh but the atmosphere is still it's not really mournful. It's like already dead and buried. <laughs> There's not much emotion to it other than just like decay and a recognition of decay. I, the three bands that are very easy for me to pick out and compare this to would be Ripakalu, Undergang, or Untergang, if I'm going to try to pronounce it. And then uh, some local boys for me, uh, Mortiferum. Very, very similar to Mortiferum in a lot of ways to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it has that like kind of just everything about it is nasty. Even down to the vocals have this kind of just gross out nature to them. Like the way it's mixed everything about it is slightly kind of skin crawling. And if you compare it to other Death Doom that I really like, I would say like Evoken. Evoken is that that flavor that is so expansive, and it feels like they're 
they're talking about you know death in a way that is very like cosmic and kind of all-encompassing and reference to paroxysm feels like something that was buried a million years ago and is utterly suffocated and buried i i got really excited actually looking at their metal archives profile because this is the band i was thinking of earlier when i almost said uh that they they draw on a lot of other bands but they overlap with so many of the heavy heavy hitters across mexican death metal um you know hackovitz members um a disgorge member all the all the stuff that you would imagine and uh yeah the drumming is just so incredible on it it's it's kind of what death doom needs in this vein i feel like where if you're gonna let the guitars kind of chug around and slowly navigate long thorny riffs you need the drummer to kind of subtly emphasize some changes or at least have interesting fills to kind of bridge these gaps that are a little lurching and i find that he just does a fantastic job of doing that oh totally yeah it's it's a very very complete album where they managed to progress this sound like perfectly song to song and the little interlude bits i don't know why why this was the choice but the endless references to 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> there is like four different references to that to the point where and i can't tell whether this is on purpose or not but there is a song that starts like thus spake zarathustra where it goes, it has three notes that go up in the right order, and then just suddenly turns to nasty death metal, but directly after a, a howl <laughs> quote. It's so strange, and it it makes me think that, you know, it's it's the kind of thing you could only get maybe if these kinds of dudes were in the room, because you have people that are from really fast, speedy black metal, some war metal dudes, some brutal death metal dudes. And then their drummer is actually from one of my favorite instrumental stoner metal bands. And I feel like if I had to pin somebody, it's like, that dude might be bringing the 2001 Space Odyssey <laughs> samples, I think. <laughs> oh, you've got to name the band now you've, you've referenced that. Yeah, uh, it's, they're Venom Sabathi, and they play, which I, you know, I believe is a clear Electric Wizard reference but that being said they're they're kind of a more positive sounding and yeah they play in front of like samples of nature documentaries so maybe that's where that's leaking in here uh i also was super excited one of them is wearing a, a zizma shirt on the metal archives page so anybody that's going to put that out there as an influence i'm always interested in what they're doing now i can totally like if you're familiar with zizmas yeah that's about the realm of the vocals on this like that level of just like absolutely unreasonably low like doesn't sound like a person anymore vocal delivery anybody that's craving an alternative to dizma because craig pillard's a neo-nazi piece of shit maybe give this one a try it's one of the things that actually has kind of scratched that itch for me yeah yeah no, i can definitely see you see that comparison so with this um this list we ran through like i remember the last episode we did actually had a lot more connections to a lot of the kind of classic bands i say we've the chasm have come up a few times because you can't really talk about mexican metal particularly mexican death metal without referencing them but this lot actually seem a lot more contained like quite a few of the early bands you brought up do seem like this this sort of entity that existed very briefly and hasn't had so many other connections i like i think start of the first episode i sort of gave you the floor to do this but like you're you're not from mexico what what is like <laughs> what has been the thing to like inspire you to go into this scene and like 
like dive in this deeply with it. So originally, and like I said in the first episode, it was because my my girlfriend and I were potentially planning a trip to Mexico City, and I just wanted to get down there with a list of things to maybe hunt down in record stores. That actually never happened, but then I just never kind of quit doing my homework, and it's something that I find a lot of Mexican bands are kind of subtly gaining a little more prominence. Um, I know we'll talk about Lost Harvest in a little bit, but that's gotten a lot of positive attention. The Chasm, I feel like, has grown in popularity a lot over, like, the past five years or so, it seems. And you have bands like Question, you know, that uh, a lot of people are aware of, and I think a lot of people are really excited about the next thing they're going to do. So I think I would I would just say it's the classic scenario of once you know enough about a thing, it gets easier to obsess about it. I never like saying, you know, that, like, a scene has, like, a distinct flavor like all bands from mexico are this way and i i think that's precisely why it's still interesting to me is that anywhere you look you can kind of find a microcosm of the larger metal scene and this has just become the one that i tend to enjoy looking at the most and uh it helps that a lot of them are i will say to contradict what i said earlier a lot of these bands share like an atmospheric uh thread i would say very different atmospheres but that tends to be the case with all of them so it's just that combination of I keep finding things I like, so it's easy to keep looking, and then on top of that, um, wanting to know your neighbors better. <laughs> a lot of Canadian metal finds me, but I don't find a lot of Mexican metal unless I do like a little bit of digging. Um, with the exception of Reverence to Paroxysm, I actually just completely fell into my lap. Uh, so that was pure luck. It's been really fun having you introduce me to a lot of this stuff because obviously. I'm so far removed from it, and it doesn't get the attention that, say, like, sort of the, the new wave of, like, American death metal stuff is really, really coming up, whereas these these couple, like, the last few albums you mentioned, I genuinely, I think I may have seen the album cover for Infernal uh, Metal Mortis floating around, but that's possibly just yourself sharing it, like, and the quality of that album, you're like, oh no, this really should be mentioned in the same breath as stuff like Tomb Mold. Not because it sounds anything like it, but it is of that level of like a new band who are genuinely incredible. Um, so yeah, it's really nice to get introduced to a lot of this stuff. out uh these are ones i've given far less attention but michael had a list of five sort of honorable mentions that are 
go a bit more all over the spectrum in terms of genre but i think i think it'd be nice to cover just because they give a bit of a a bit of a flavor of all the other stuff that like is is present in the scene that we haven't really got to totally yeah the uh the first one is um i i forgot to write down the years for these unfortunately but i think this one is extremely early 80s if i remember correctly but lose bell is the first one i had here which just felt like felt like I had to have a, an honorable mention <laughs> of it because as far as I can tell it's one of the earliest heavy metal albums from Mexico that you can still like readily listen to and it's right on that cusp of clearly influenced by Judas Priest I would think um I can't say that decisively but I would think so and it's a, that it's a weird tipping album where at times it feels like they almost feel an obligation to get more hard rock and then they go back to heavy metal. But then at times, too, it almost feels like they're, like, heading into speed metal. So it's this odd seesaw. So it's it's an uneven album in terms of, like, aggression, I would say. But at no point is it boring. And if, if you have a fondness for more traditional heavy metal, it's, it's really fun to listen to. And such a good snapshot of, again, kind of like the sarcastic album that wouldn't come until ten years later. It's that early stage where everybody is trying to head in a certain direction, but there aren't really any signposts yet for how to get there. Yeah, this this one was very fun. It is just extremely kind of proto-metal, but, like, it, it had just a lot of charm. Charm is the word for it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people that, you know, are predominantly into extreme metal wouldn't find this particularly interesting. But if you're, like, historically minded or willing to listen to, like, an album that has a couple areas that you could consider like doldrums just to find those couple parts where you're like oh my god this sounds like the kind of thing that razor would play like later but much better <laughs> then, <laughs> then it's, it's super worth checking out so this is actually the one on here that i've listened to the least and the least recently so i'll, I'll lean on you a little bit because i i don't have as strong of memories about it but this one's horter um i didn't write down the album name either but you know I, uh, let me, most let me of my observations yeah, I'll look it up while you're talking. <laughs> Perfect. Most of my observations here are more just kind of generically about how they carry themselves and what they're doing. This is a decidedly Christian band, and is one of the few super angry Christian bands I know of in metal. Maybe the only one. And that's kind of why I like it, is it's not this white metal thing or, you know, trying to kind of take a holier-than-thou high-road approach. It's black metal if you just flip the tables exactly, and it's just like, you know, smashing the servants of Satan and all this stuff. And musically, again, you might have a bit more of a fresh memory, but it's very much just aggressive, nasty, pissed off black metal. Yeah, so this one, I've got quite a lot of thoughts on this. Of your, like, honorable mention section, I kept going back to this. So the, I, I went, I, I, I think when you, you listen, you just mentioned, like, the band with the descriptors. So I went for their debut, uh, Decapitation Absoluta Al Falso Profeta, um, which is a really brilliant, just half-hour slice of very pissed-off black metal where they get a little they do have a little bit of atmospherics in there it's still very much a black metal album and they just use that say like they're kind of there you know how you can just do christian things in like doom and it sounds really really doomy they've just applied that to black metal if you just sing about really 
angry stuff from the Bible, it sounds metal as fuck. And that's more or less what they do, obviously, in almost entirely in Spanish. But, like, that's, again, fits very nicely. But with little touches, like, there's a, there's a female vocalist who adds a bit of vocals, there's a lot of keyboards on it, but it's still quite a brutal album. And with that really tight runtime, yeah, it's a... It is a fantastic debut. It sounds older than it is in a really good way as well. Like it it nods towards like Norwegian black metal, but has enough of its own flavor. Yeah, I really liked this one. I need to go back and listen to it. So the one that I actually listened to was um Ancient Satanic Rituals are Crushed in Dust. I like that it's not into dust, just like the tiny slip up there is a little bit charming to me. And yeah, kind of like with the Doom thing where adding these biblical themes feels so weighty and just works so naturally. There's something that's a little lost, I feel like, as I got closer to black metal, where it gets a little less scary, and it, start, it, it it's kind of like rooting for the underdogs, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a bunch of dudes, you know, with varying levels of popularity and whatnot, like, talking about this massive power structure that, at the end of the day, you know, Maybe some people burn down churches and everything, but black metal's really not much of a threat to, like, you know, <laughs> the the foundations of, like, Christianity. This is almost, like, more scary to me of, like, God, I don't, like, these are the dudes that have, like, the weight of fundamentalist Christians behind them, and they're gonna get, like, black metal pissed off. It, it like, kind of brings back a little bit of the, like, I don't know how close I want to get to this thing. <laughs> yeah, it it also the their whole aesthetic is so funny because they they look like immortal essentially, and like the, the album cover of the, the album you're talking about is them round like them desecrating a satanic ritual site while dressed as immortal, which is like it's such a a funny but effective image. Um, the cover of the first album is a hell of a lot better and less um, obviously laughable, but... Yeah, it, it almost makes me, like, crave... I I wish there was just, like, this constant back and forth of inversion where then, like, a black metal band would do an album cover of, like, cleaning up the ruined satanic ritual or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, like, ancient satanic rituals are repaired or something, you know? Yeah. Like... But, yeah, it, it's one I highly advise you to check, like, people to check out. Like, in... I know, obviously, like, the Christian stuff, I think me and Michael probably similar enough background where we haven't had so much negative interaction with religion in our life that I'm quite open to Christian-themed stuff because it, it doesn't bother me. I think people who have gone through a more forced traditional Christian upbringing find it quite a a negative trigger, so they might be like, nah, I don't want to I don't want to deal with stuff that's probably that, which is fine. But if you're open to the idea... It's a very fun take on the, you know, the horrendous phrase white metal, like the Christian-themed black metal. Yeah, it's very, um, if, if white metal was like a, a semi, you know, manufactured term, these were just dudes clearly that saw black metal and liked the sound, but don't like Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, for the third one, this might be the weirdest band, I think, on here. The one that seems like it's the most, like, product of a mad genius, but this is Argentum. I find this band super challenging. Even And, and as I said before, like, I'm very susceptible to charm, and bands that are charming uh, go a long way for me, even if I don't find certain aspects of the music super captivating. 
but the, good lord, these this is a kitchen sink band that's like a black doom band, I would say. Very occult and, and mystic, but also like with kind of a mourning, depressed vibe overall. Their album uh, Ad Interitum Funebrarum is definitely like very, very heavily prized by certain people. And I, I can't avoid using this, even though I kind of hate it. The thing I always think of is it sounds like a Doors fan wanted to like take that kind of organ-led music into black metal uh, with like a gothic tone. Um, and a 76-minute album, <laughs> the one I just mentioned. So yeah, not much restraint in any of this. This is an interesting because this is the one you sort of put in the notes is going like I don't know but you you say you didn't quite know where you stood with it because it is such a difficult listen. I think it's it's an album. The best way to engage with it is to it's it's a very good album to put on while you're working where like the general atmosphere of it is really like it, it's a solidly just it does set a vibe throughout. It has this kind of like low key doomy energy throughout. But I found myself, I've listened to it twice, and every time I listened to it, I'd sort of zone out for a bit, and then something would happen where I was like, there's two minutes which is just fucking awesome, and that would happen, like, every every little bit you'd catch something, you'd just go like, oh, that's incredible, and then the next three or four minutes would be, like, that's, that's, like, I've got nothing against this, it's perfectly solidly written Doom. And it just had these like sort of peaks, and it, I like, I I realize I'm probably like, I I feel some people do see this album as a classic, and maybe I'm being harsh here, but it feels like if this had been edited to 45 minutes, it would be a masterpiece. But at 80, it is, it is bloated, and there are moments that just aren't good. Like the the second track is the one that really exemplified this for me. Of like, uh, was the song uh, Astrum Argentum. It starts with this guitar solo that is just incredible. Absolutely amazing writing over this really great riff. And the first two minutes of the song are amazing. And then it has this riff in the middle. It's just shit. There's there's a minute of a riff that I hate. And then it gets really good. And it's if this song was five minutes rather than eight and cut out the two riffs where they seemed a bit less uninspired, it would be mind-blowingly good. But as it is, it's a really brilliant, ambitious album. I just wish they'd edited it down a bit. Like, 76 minutes is such a... There are so few bands who can pull that off. Oh, it's, it's just brutally difficult. And, and I think if I could give, like, in terms of a tone, not, not to the music, but just how this is written, it really sounds like somebody who was like, I know exactly what I want to make. Fuck you if you don't like it. I just don't care. This is the 76-minute album I want to make. Which is cool. I That's totally fine. It carries, even though it doesn't sound anything like this other project, I think it, it carries the sense of like Essoc Trillium does, where clearly it's what one person wants to do and you're going to sit down and like check it out. Certain aspects might work, certain aspects might not. It's just that without like, as you said, the restraint to like maybe trim this to like 50 or 45 minutes, it just becomes really hard to stick with this album along like it's it's runtime i think if i listen to it i'm sure 20 times maybe i would walk away feeling like it's a classic too but there's just a lot of music out there one thing i i do like oh go for it 
it's it's credited as the the, the brainchild of the guitarist um, who goes by Cheb Maelstrom and Boca Prendragon Diaboli. Um, and he just like does seem like this character of this incredible guitarist from the nineties who is just like he is a genius, but he is doing his thing, and he is like yeah, giving you the entire and the entirety of his kind of creative output in one go. I think there's a kind of fan who this might be their favorite thing ever. If, it, if there's a person this will connect with, and this is like a a ten out of ten album for them we might just not be that audience. Yeah, and as weird as it sounds, I would actually give this to, like, my dad. <laughs> as somebody who's, like, very nerdy about, like, 60s music and likes organs and has a longer attention span just because he is more of the generation of, like, I don't know, he's very content to put something on and, like, stare at a wall and just totally absorb it, which I'm pretty poor at. And I think if you if you can connect with music in that way, there's probably a lot to extract here. And, um, again, charm factor kind of out of this world for me, too. I just can't, I just can't quite sit through the runtime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very unique, like, really visionary album that I, yeah, I just, I just struggle to adjust as a whole. But if you've got time, if you're someone who's really got time for those bigger albums, you know, someone who happily can put on the whole of, like, a Midnight Odyssey album and just vibe with that this i think would really appeal it there was it, what's um separates to say a lot of the main eight we covered was it's not brutal in the way any of those are I, i'd say brutal is just not a descriptor for it despite it heavily leaning on the kind of more aggressive vocals it has a mellowness that works in its favor it's just it's a long sitting so if we if we move forward to number four now we have actually another 2023 album here in uh Voltax, which is kind of a part of what I would say is a banner year for traditional metal. One theme, I'm actually looking at this in real time, I didn't know this previously, but their only listed theme on Metal Archives is Metal Way of Life. (laughs) Yes! And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what you get on this album, uh, Ardentis, which is traditional heavy metal, but as I like it, with kind of this like wink and nod towards where heavy metal was going at this point of like soaring vocals and you know like galloping riffs it starts to get towards thrash metal it definitely gets towards speed metal but it keeps the the good kind of cheesiness that you get out of like a band like iron maiden with the soaring vocals and everything so it's kind of straddling those two worlds where things were starting to get more extreme but you never fully get there and you know, you could put this on at a party, and I feel like even people that don't really like metal, if the energy and the the vibe was right, people will enjoy this. It's like fist-pumping, beer-swilling metal for sure. It really has, like, and the cover is fantastic, and I've just looked up. It's the um, local artist, Luke Oram, a uh, guy from Bristol, who is a oh, wow. fantastic artist, and this is some of his best work. I, I love this, this, like horse-born figure going through this like cosmic gateway and it that sums up what you're getting on this album of like it has a throwback 70s vibe but with a nicely polished up more modern style which this kind of sits perfectly in like really proto-metal but performed by guys who were so much more kind of you know technically perfect than a lot of music sounded back in the day 
but it's just really, really good fun in that way. Absolutely. And, and with the vocals being that kind of soaring, really upfront, like, look at me, I'm a frontman style of early heavy metal, part of what I love about going to places like Mexico to find music that I neglected to mention earlier is that bands that sing in other languages kind of have other vocal patterns available to them. Just different ways to get across similar themes that we're used to. And so it's it's a vocal style you're, you're familiar with, but there are certain things that are being pulled off here that feel novel. And there's just a different kind of cadence and rhythm to certain things that gives it like this new kind of flavor that, you know, from time to time, even for myself, it can be hard to like listen to traditional heavy metal without just feeling like oh, I should go listen to like some great Nawabam bands or I should go listen to just some Manila Road. Uh, so this has that like kind of extra element to me that gives it something that still feels like it's a bit of a departure, at least for me, because I'm s- somewhat stepping out of my zone in that regard. I know, I totally know what you mean. So, like, a scene that I think has, like, a, you know, a, a country scene that I think has a lot of uh, overlap with the Mexican scene is the Chile scene. There seems to be a lot of, like, there's a lot of leaning towards older genres, but playing them with a an amazing technical ferocity in recent years from both of them. Um, and a band that, like, stand out in that regard of, like, doing heavy metal but with very different vocal cadences, Vorties. And I remember I've shown that to a lot of people, the the guy from Demoniac's solo project. And because of the different, um, the way he does the vocals, where it's, it's not in English, it has a very different cadence to it. Uh, the amount of people I put that on for, on for, and within two minutes, they're like, this is incredible. It, it's just like, it, it, they, there's something about that, that different vocal approach with a genre that is so locked to the vocals being, you know, the center of attention. Yeah, it can just really grab you, and I think this album really has that same level of, of like charm and just immediacy. Where you're like, oh fuck, I've not heard vocals done like that because I'm used to the new album bands, so they're all all British speakers, or but maybe there's a couple of like French language ones I've been more into recently. But that that all sounds very very different to this. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's this again, like another element of why I love going to this stuff is, you know, I, I try to stay away from like exoticism or turning bands into other places into some sort of like fetishism thing but there is a stepping outside of what you're familiar with and feeling like you're you know so often bands write in english so that their market is bigger so that more people understand them and all of that and it's really people meeting us you know three quarters of the way half of the way whatever you want to put it so there is a different feeling of like you know i'm seeing actually what this is this is natural to this person, right? This is the lens through which like metal would be naturally flowing to them. And I think uh, there's often there's an element sometimes too with me where maybe it's just because it's different and whatnot, but especially with traditional heavy metal, Spanish just works so well, so so well. It almost <laughs> makes me feel like this is the language that like heavy metal <laughs> should be in, uh, just because there's there's a certain flow and rhythm to it that. Uh, I just really, really enjoy. Let's move into the final one because it's a really good point to end on, I think. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, as we said, you can't avoid the chasm as a touch point for Mexican metal, and many Mexican bands I find kind of beat around that bush or at least, you know, reference the chasm in their thank you notes and whatnot. This is the first band out of Mexico, at least that I know of, 
that seems to just be like, let's just do our take on that as if it were a genre. Like, let's not worry about it being very like the chasm. We're going to do that and just be almost like a companion in that type of sound. Uh, so the band is Lost Harvest. And the album title, I'll let you look up the album title again while I rant a little bit. Deluded Seas of Diverge. Oh man, even the title is such a, a soupy <laughs> <Hell> yeah. kind of... <laughs> well-flavored but nonsensical the chasm title in a lot of ways it's a 70 minute runtime so it's difficult in that regard but i don't find like to compare this to argentum this is a very quick 70 minutes surprisingly because it's just very ornate music without ever being overbearing and it knows when to kind of transition between different textures be that like we're going to get into more of a brutal riff right now that's just a little more visceral, and then we're almost going to go to a technical thrash spot, and then we'll offer up a little bit of melodicism, but it's never jarring, and it seems like they've just given so much thought on like, how to move in between these spots, which again, to me, that's kind of the hallmark of the chasm. Yeah, and it, this as well, there is, there is something to this where, once again, it is one guy, and they're like, you know ridiculous vision realized over years he has a second member has joined the band but lost harvest have two albums and they've been active since 1994 and the first album came out in 2019 so yeah they they may have have two albums that between them are two hours of music but he's been writing these for like a lifetime um and it and it shows like it's it is wonderfully worshipful of a band but a band who have always been so good at doing these great big just gigantic atmospheric tracks that feel so i don't know so easy to get lost in what they do and yes lost heart office is just worshipping that but that is a very hard band to pull off an accurate kind of uh tribute to i, I was talking the uh, an episode back about um uh, channel riff to a band who just do Necros Christos but like being able to just do that is so impressive because that's such an idiosyncratic band that no one can quite create um, chasm riffs because the guy's a genius like he appears on one incantation album and I uh, may be talking out of turn it but it's the best incantation album and, and this feels like a an incredible yeah, an incredible worship of that style, down to the aesthetic, down to the lyrics, down to like the guitar tone. Like, yes, it's following that, but but to do that is incredible. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would put it. And yeah, the fact that looking at their like active years now, that they were formed in '94, <clears throat> excuse me, formed in '94, split up in '97, then like picked it back up in 2017. But you know, this is music that clearly has been simmering on somebody's brain for like 30 years <laughs> is what it feels like um and and kind of to offer another touch point like if to be fair to them too like i think anana out of chile is another band that actually occupies this space very well too of like progressive death metal that draws on all manner of you know different aspects of extreme metal there's not like a ton of black metal in there i would say uh, but it, I, I find that's, like, very appropriate, and they're almost carving out 
a more atmospheric space for death metal that's not reliant on like some of the stuff that black metal created for creating atmospherics. Uh, even the, I really like their their band name, like Lost Harvest. I find so great because it implies like something you invested so much time into the decayed and withered and you got nothing out of which is quite a different more like kind of cerebral route to chart for like traditional death metal stuff but it maps so perfectly to this kind of again very thoughtful nerdy music that is attempting to be so expansive in and again similar to the the chasm the perspective is like this kind of cosmic all-encompassing view of of life and and what people experience yeah completely like they really nail that i I also love as well that their their album cover really feels like something that's aping the half uh, the, the chasm but the chasm at, like are a band famously have really shit album covers and it's aping like <laughs> kind of the worst era of their album covers yeah they just kind of went for it and and i love that i love owning your influences and saying to a certain degree too that like part of what we value about this is the hokey cheesy uh maybe like slightly lower budget aspect to it and again I, i'm just so charmed by music that doesn't get too wrapped up in all of the surrounding packaging um even though i do really value bands that you know are painstakingly put together their layout logos and all that stuff i just think there's there's room for everything and i love a band that's kind of like we're gonna we're going to get this down musically and the rest of it can kind of be what it is because at the end of the day the music is what's driving all of this yeah yeah exactly it's 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 a really fun one if you you're into that kind of style um well worth checking out and also like there, there will be a, a a probably a fair portion of listeners who haven't ever dived into the chasm as a band which if, if you have skipped that one I think we said this on the previous episode. I highly recommend giving that band some time. Um, uh, far seeing the paranormal, the paranormal abysm, their like twenty fourteen album is always the one I'd say like start off on that one. That is a great primer for the the Mexican extreme metal scene and and something that felt very original. Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing this list together, Michael. I, I really I had such a good time with this. Much like uh, much of the last list you brought in, where. It is a ton of stuff I'd never heard before, and even at the bits I enjoyed, like you didn't enjoy as much as others, it was all new to me and like very, I don't know, all, all had its own flavor. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I would say. That's that's where you have the most fun with these kind of dives is when, um, yeah, if if you can kind of open your mind to just being curious about what people were doing and what they were trying to do, a lot of the stuff that doesn't even land is a lot more fun. I find when you're just trying to um, just be curious and open. Uh, when you find something like an Argentum that is exhausting, and I'll probably never go back again, it's just kind of warming to know that there are these odd pockets to something that it's very easy to feel like you become super familiar with metal. But I find that, you know, if you poke around the edges, you can always figure out that it's far more expansive, weird, and... Um, just kind of all over the place than you could actually imagine and you'll never really know the true depths of it that that is an absolutely fantastic note to end on um so for the listeners i, I don't know if is there anywhere people can follow you online for for any of this stuff like essentially if you want to hear michael totes thoughts on metal uh join the into the combine discord like that that podcast's um <laughs> 
the the group around this is how I know a lot of the people who have been guest hosts on episodes of Michael Tote has been someone who's really influenced my taste over recent years, but just like casually sharing your opinions on that forum. Yeah, I mean, that's the best place, honestly. Uh, I would just say the conversation is so rich there that I don't often feel the need to like step outside of it. And I'm not a huge social media person. Um, you can find me on Facebook and all manner of things. So if you want to go for it, but otherwise, yeah, try to join the end of the combine backstage lounge. It's great. There's great people there. Um, obviously Phil, you and your podcast have been a mutual influence on me. So yeah, if you want to dive deep, that's a great place to start. Uh, and I'm happy to talk to anyone there. Oh, well, thanks so much for joining me for this today. It's been really good fun. And yeah, and as always, thanks a lot for listening, everyone.